0: Ultimate Escape is a family-friendly ministry that addresses sexuality. Some episodes may contain sensitive terms and subject matter, especially for younger children. Hello and welcome to the Ultimate Escape podcast. I'm David Chenault. This is our third episode of the Ultimate Escape podcast dedicated to partnering with teens and parents and teachers as well as church leaders to have meaningful dialogue with each other about healthy sexuality from a God-centered perspective. Sharing the truth that we say here at Ultimate Escape brings freedom. If you'd like to know more about the founders of Ultimate Escape and all the good folks that are involved in the organization, as well as the programs and presentations that are available, you can find that all on their website UltimateEscape.org. So, with us today is Steve and Holly Holiday. And uh, of course, uh, we've heard their stories in the past. They've talked about uh, where they came from and uh, kind of their past. Today, we're going to talk about um, where their stories have merged and where they came along and, and how their stories kind of overlap. So, first of all, hello to both of you all today. Hi. So, tell me, uh, where, where did you guys first meet? Where, where, where was, where's,
1: where's the story start? We actually met at a Christian college. I, with my wonderful uh, history of interaction with males, that most of which was pretty poor, had left for college saying, I am never going to get married. I don't know why people keep asking me if I'm getting an MRS degree. I'm never getting married. Boys are awful. They're so mean and blah, blah, blah. So I had this big rant at my mom, literally in August, as I was leaving to go to college. And so I got there and, you know, obviously still in a very traumatic, wounded state, but Mm. didn't really recognize that because I just tried to forget about it. So I'm had to go and register. And, of course, this is way back in the olden times. When to register, you actually had to go down into the basement of this building. And there are different tables set up for each of the the different subjects at school. And you literally had to go to the table and say, okay, I need History 101. And someone literally had to look at the list. Okay, yeah, there's a slot. Or, no, there's not. And so you had to go through that whole rigmarole of, of registering. And Steve was at one of the tables where I had to register for a music class. And so I remember, in hindsight, seeing him there, but not paying a whole lot of attention to him, because I am a freshman. I'm focused on trying to register for my classes.
2: And I noticed her, and I paid a lot of attention.
0: (laughs) But it obviously wasn't love at first sight for her.
2: Obviously not. It needed a little coaxing.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, okay. Okay. So this is the very first encounter and you and you did. You you noticed her right up front.
2: I did and she she was taking chorus and I was in chorus and so I saw her every day at chorus and I would speak to her and she would have pretty much nothing to say back. Right. Um other than maybe a hi or a head nod or but it but it was very cold. Uh, and I thought this girl needs somebody to make her happy and i would love to be that guy so <laughs> right? that became my mission was to bring a smile to her face and eventually win her over because she was just rude
0: <laughs> so the times in chorus
1: well i laugh every time he says i was just rude because in reality i'm in college i'm 17 years old and i'm just trying to figure out what to do i'm trying to get to the right place at the right time and Still, you know, pretty much trying to ignore all the other stuff in my life, and it's and at one point in all of this, uh, some upperclassmen from chorus came to our dorm and came and found all the people on like the she did it floor by floor and sat us down and said, "Now, you need to know that so and so in chorus they're engaged, and so and so is pre-engaged, <laughs> so they're really off limits too, and so and so is not engaged or pre-engaged, but they're probably going to get engaged next month, so." Don't date them either. And Steve Holiday, he's a fifth-year senior, and he does not date freshmen. So don't even talk to him. So, hey, not looking for a guy. Mm. I'm just trying to get my stuff done that I need to get done, trying to figure college out. And I've heard, word on the street is, he doesn't date freshmen, so don't talk to him. So anytime he spoke to me, I thought I answered him. You know, I was not rude, but I answered him and then went right on about my business.
0: (laughs) And eventually, what happened? Did he finally win you over? Where where we go from here?
2: We started doing things together with friends, like in a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and over time, the group began, began to get smaller. Right. And suddenly, there were no other people around. It was just the two of us. That cost me $100, by the way. Well you had to pay them all <laughs> off? Is that- <laughs> I'm just kidding about the $100. But uh, we did end up just you know, starting to do things by ourselves. Actually, I think our first halfway date was giving blood. She was going to give blood. And so I went to support her giving blood because I wasn't about to let
1: somebody put a needle in my arm. (laughs) Yeah, he was was too afraid to give blood. So he stayed with me while I gave blood, and and they didn't tell me to stop squeezing the little rubber ball. Right, right. And so I evidently gave blood too quickly and almost passed out. And so he took care of me, which, you know, I was like. Somebody needed to hold her hand. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's the knight in shining armor.
1: There you go. The it's hero.
0: Me. There you go. So uh, you date her how long? What's uh, where we go? You're out. Of, you're getting out of school. Did you finish it up, or I mean, fifth uh, year senior?
2: Not, I was a six year senior as well. <laughs> uh, I was on the very slow track. Gotcha. I had a lot of fun in college. <laughs> I really enjoyed being there. Gotcha. I knew it was time to leave when the the beginning of my sixth year. Mm. Um, one of the professors saw me on campus and looked and said, what in the world are you still doing around here? I thought, I probably should graduate this year. <laughs> well,
1: he sells himself a little short. Um, this is back in the days before there were youth ministry uh, majors. And so he had a double major. So mm. he did take a lot of classes. However, he never took more than 12 hours at a time. right? Because if he took more than 12 hours, that interfered in his football throwing time. Gotcha. So... When you do that. I did it, spend a lot of time out with some friends in football. <laughs> takes a little longer.
2: Anyway, we eventually uh, got engaged and got married, and we are the poster children for how not to do it.
0: For not getting it, for getting engaged? For, for
2: how not to do this whole get engaged, get married okay. thing. Uh, we, we were engaged within just a few months, I think maybe three months or so. After meeting? Um, no. Oh, no, no. No.
1: I can't remember exactly when we started dating. Probably by October we were dating. Okay. We got engaged January-ish. Okay. So we dated, I mean, that was more than three months after we met. Two few months.
0: This is still but, your freshman year, though. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I you, had
1: just turned 18.
0: So you come, uh, come home at Christmas time. Is, is that a Christmas that you, that you bring him home at that Christmas, or is that the...
1: Yeah, I brought him home this Christmas, but he had been home with me for the weekend before Okay When we were just friends
0: Okay, well, but you said at one point, you said your mom's pulled you aside and said, I'm not real sure, are you you serious? Right, right,
1: we weren't serious yet, but we were serious really quickly after that
0: (laughs) And so in January, he proposes to you, you say yes Got married in August Got married that following August Mm
1: -hmm. So never say never Right because a year after I had my you know, rant at my mom about I'm never getting married, I was getting married. Wow. So wow. Um, and like Steve said, we're we're really kind of the poster children for how not to do this. Uh, we don't either one wish that we were married to different people. right. We wish we had gone about the whole process differently because the reality was we both brought a ton of baggage with mm-hmm. us um, and in not just like the nice pretty bags that you go to TJ Maxx and you buy to travel with and you've got like maybe one check bag and one carry-on bag, we're talking think of a mound of trash bags that's really tall mm. and we had a lot of baggage and we just didn't realize we needed to do anything about it mm. And all of that baggage greatly affected our relationship and so very quickly it went from what I thought was going to be wonderful to pretty bad.
2: And very quickly means within a few weeks.
0: Okay, so let me ask this: uh, poster children for not how to do it or for not for the way not to do it. Would you have gone slower? Would you have uh, just had more conversations? would you have Did you do premarital counseling? I mean thats a, that's a common thing now. would you what, what would you have done differently?
2: Do I think it now? would have been best if we had done some some personal healing first. If we had realized how wounded we were, mm-hmm. I think our relationship would have been much healthier and much more enjoyable. We would have been spared nine years of um, of misery mm-hmm. if we had known to take our own journey before beginning a journey together.
1: Yeah, I would say it's not so much to me about the time because I've known other people who are much healthier who meet And in a few months, know, hey, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And they get married. So it's not necessarily about the ages that we were or the time frame that all this happened in. To me, it's just about all the stuff we had not dealt with. And like Steve said, had we known that we should address it, we could have saved ourselves a lot of heartache down the road.
0: Mm. So you said very quickly it went south.
1: Yes. I would say within two months. Wow. Wow. And when I, when we say it got bad, it's not like we ever fought or Steve was abusive or any of that. You know, there was never a lot of, every once in a while, just to try to get any kind of response, I would kind of get escalated. But, you know, it's not like he was physically violent or, you know, talked to me ugly or called me names. It just, I realized super quick that it was just not what I expected Hmm. being that. What I had in my mind, and I think he has shared before he thought he had shared all this struggle with me, but that's not the way it came out. you know to say i have a I have a problem watching movies that might be disrespectful of women did not communicate to me. I have a sex addiction that I've had from my earliest memories, so I had no idea what I was getting into in that respect. So in my mind, I have this picture of Steve is the first guy who has treated me respectfully. He's been, you know, very, very nice. He's not tried to push my boundaries. You know, probably the one of the guy, one of the only guys I had dated, and had done things right. And I was very much um, comforted by that. There was at the same time a little part of me that thought it was weird, because Mm -hmm. again, my norm is. And and the message I have is guys only want you for your body and what you can do. So there was a little tension there, but overall, I very much liked that he was respectful. So I have this picture of us. We're going to live in a little house and have 2.5 kids with a white picket fence. And that's it. And what I realized is within a couple of months, he's doing his thing, going to school. I am extremely alone and there is pretty much no relationship whatsoever.
2: And I would say at that stage of life, I was just incapable of having any kind of an intimate relationship. There's just no understanding of what that looked like or how to do it. I was too busy uh, guarding my secrets uh, and ignoring things uh, to have any kind of openness.
0: So does this continue on a downward slide, on on a very steep downward slide, or does this slide off very quickly and then just kind of plateau in in the depths for a while
1: i would say in some ways it kind of went downhill fairly quickly and we just stayed there but it was very cyclical i could literally get out a calendar and i could chart this three-month pattern and interesting yeah it, it was very very predictable of course this went on for you know a little bit more than eight years so there's a lot of time in there that i spent analyzing and thinking about and trying to figure out and diagnose and, you know, what is the problem? And if you don't really have a solution for what's going on, it's, I think it's human nature to think it's your fault. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say default is it's your fault. Mm -hmm. So a lot of uh, probably guilt over, okay, somehow I'm doing this wrong because if I was doing whatever, right. And I didn't even know what, whatever was. My marriage would be better. So I would read books and I would pray. I prayed a lot, a lot over eight years. And everything from, Lord, please help me just be okay with this. This is the way things have got to be and it's not what I expected, but please just help me be okay with it. Right. And that's a really sad prayer. Mm. And I'm, I'm very thankful that God did not answer that one. But really just I felt like re- went round and round in a little hamster wheel trying to figure out what exactly the issue was.
0: So she's trying to figure out the issue. What are you doing? Uh,
1: pretty
2: much ignoring it because I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I was aware. I was aware when we were dating uh, that our relationship wasn't what it needed to be, and that was my responsibility. Um, there was one Sunday morning we were driving early uh, back from Holly's parents where we'd spent uh, the weekend uh, to the church where I was leading singing on um, on Sunday m- on Sundays. And Holly was over on you know, her side sleeping, and I was driving down the interstate praying, God, I know she needs me to be a better boyfriend and you know, eventually a better husband, but I, I don't know how to do that. Please help me do that. So it's not that I had no clue that things were bad. It's that I, I kept doing the same thing over and over trying to make it better, which was be thoughtful, be nice, you know, do the dishes, fold the laundry, basically acts of service. Mm. Uh, Let me do and do and do nice things, and maybe that'll make it better. But the problem wasn't that I didn't do nice things. The problem was there was no emotional availability. I I was deep as a dime. Mm. There was no depth whatsoever Mm. uh, because I just kept everybody. I mean, it it wasn't just Holly. It was everybody in my life, uh, for the most part, was completely shut out at an emotional level.
0: So was there any time where there were some cracks in the facade, some moments of of brightness that you thought, hey, this is, we're turning a corner, and then maybe or maybe not turn out right? Or is it just pretty much dark all the way?
1: There were a few times when I felt like, okay, wait, maybe it's going to get better. But like I said before, it was very cyclical. I would say something about how lonely I felt or you know how dissatisfied I was with things, and not just in a nagging A stereotypical wife way. I was just like, I don't want things to be like this. And he would really, he would try. But again, his trying was not at all what I wanted. He mentioned acts of service. If you're familiar with the five love languages, okay, that's his, that's his love language. If I want to reach him, acts of service are what really speak to him. Well, it's like way down on my list. I think it might be my last one. And so (laughs) up, up high on mine, and I can't ever remember the the specific name but it's basically spend time with me and talk to me
0: quality time quality
1: time that's up there with me um and physical touch those two are really mm. high for me so an interesting concept we have now learned is that when things are turbulent or unsettled or you perceive that there is somebody's unhappy it is default to try to like try to reach them by using your own love language right so in other words He would try, he would start uh, vacuuming the house and folding the laundry and to try to help me, to try to be nice to me, to try to make things better. I would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk because that's what I equate with love. Well, that's very, you know, that's much lower on his list than mine. So it'd be the same as if he spoke Russian Mm. and I spoke French. And no matter how hard we try, and no matter how loud I speak French, he's only he doesn't understand it. And no matter how much he speaks Russian to me, I don't have a clue what he's saying. So it's that kind of dynamic where we both were kind of trying, but didn't realize sure it, it had no effect.
0: Whereas his Russian is, is doing his work all around the house, and your French is touching him and, 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 talking, and talking to him. Like, yeah. Right,
1: right. And when <laughs> you're trying to closely guard a whole lifetime of secrecy, mm-hmm. people trying to get close to you, is the last thing you want. right? So there were some times where I felt like, okay, there might be hope. And eventually we got to a point where I saw cracks in the facade with other people. At one point after we had had four children, and then I would see him at work as a youth minister, I I said, you know, if I could give you a word picture to help you understand how I feel, this would be it. I said, there is you. And there's a brick wall that's about knee height, you know, maybe shin to knee height. And our kids get access to you from the knees up because you're a great dad. And I would see him be emotional with our children. He was emotive. He was present. Just a really great dad. But then I would see him with the youth group. And I said, I feel like there's another level of of wall. And it's probably about, you know, waist, to chest high. And the youth group gets access to you from maybe, you know, the waist up because he was fun with the youth group. He was involved. He was connected. And I said, but then there's a third brick wall, and I feel like it's over your eyes, and I only get that much of you, you know, from, from your eyes up. I said, you just, you don't let me in, and I don't understand why.
0: Hmm. Did that speak to you at all? Were you able to, to begin to grasp what the situation was?
2: Uh, I
1: understood what
2: she said Meaning I, I, you know, logically I understand what she's saying, uh, but had no idea how to fix that. Mm. Um, you know, and that's pre-recovery emotionally. I'm shut down. Right. Eventually fall of 1999, we're standing uh, on the back steps of our church owned house in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, four kids in the playroom behind us. And we're having a conversation where Holly shares with me that she's done. She says, "I don't know how long you want to continue on like this, but I'm I'm done. Um, heard this guy on the radio. I think he might be able to help us. You know, here's his phone number. Um, if you want to schedule a session, you can do that. I'm not going to do it. If you want to go right ahead, I think he can help us. I'm done. Now, what I heard in that was there's one person on the planet who can fix us, and if you don't call him, I'm leaving." Um, so I called and scheduled an appointment and we began weekly counseling. Uh, we drove two and a half hours, you know, from our place to the, this guy's office. The first six to eight trips were really, really quiet. Uh, I don't know that we talked much of anything on the way up or on the way home. But eventually um, we started having a conversation and it was on the way home one night after a session.
0: Well, now, I want to ask this. You had said you were done. Explain that that statement. Uh,
1: Yeah, and that, it very much sounds like an ultimatum. And I was aware that when I stood there and said, I don't know how long you want to do this, but I'm finished, um, that it could come across that way. And I said, from the bottom of my heart, I don't want this to sound like an ultimatum, but I just, I am done. I can't do this anymore. When you are hurt enough, you get uncomfortable enough, You will justify doing a lot of things you typically wouldn't. But I did. I I had had it. And at that time, I was making plans to go visit my parents with all four kids and trying to figure out how long I could be gone before it looked weird that the youth minister's wife is gone and the kids are not here. Never really thought growing up and entering into marriage that I would ever want to divorce ever. Never crossed my mind. And I didn't really want to do that. But I knew I could not live in that amount of hurt anymore because from my perspective, you know, now I know that Steve knew how bad it was, but he never let on that he knew that in any way. And so to try to make sense of things, I was left with, okay, either he's just really stupid and he doesn't get it, or he knows how hurt I am and how painful things are. and He doesn't care. Well, I knew he wasn't stupid. And he kept a 4.0 through all six years of school. He's a smart guy. So that left me with, you know, he knows and he just does it anyway. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that we had tried counseling before, years before, and it just really didn't, it didn't really help us because the core issue for us was a complete intimacy disorder. There was no ability for us to connect on an intimate level. And when I say intimate, I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about relational intimacy. Uh, He was like a roommate. You know, we got along well, we could live in the same house and take care of and do life. We could do life. Great. But I was so lonely. Mm.
0: And that's an interesting concept because, uh, I mean, I think in Mm. today's world with the digital, uh, the advent of, of digital, uh, lives and social media, we see this more and more of mm-hmm. being together alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that makes more, I think that may ring true more today even, or at least, I don't know, do people recognize that more today as as a as an issue as opposed to 15, 20 years ago when that may be something, mm-hmm. you know, not quite as, as prevalent. But, uh, but I think people would understand today when you say in the midst of a relationship and completely alone, that, that probably rings true right. to a lot of folks.
1: I would hide. Uh, there were days when we would go to church and I just couldn't do the, hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? You know, and the smile. Mm-hmm. And literally I would walk to church and get all the kids in their class and I would go sit in his office and cry because I just couldn't deal with the people. I couldn't be fake mm-hmm. and I didn't know what else to do. So it was, it was bad.
0: And she says you knew how bad it was. And obviously you knew how bad you were struggling with your own issues did you really know to the great extent that this was affecting her and how bad it was as a couple? I did. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, th- there was no um, lack of awareness that she was hurt and our, our marriage was a mess. Um, I just basically kind of given up because I'd tried for years and years to fix it. And obviously nothing I did was fixing it. And so what else, you know, what, what more is there to do? Just get up in the morning, do what you do, go to bed at night, get up the next morning, and just exist in it.
0: So you begin this new counseling mm-hmm. place, uh, a person, uh, and it takes a while, but six or eight visits, you start talking on the way home.
1: When When we went to counseling that very first visit, I went with the mindset, I'm going to do this so that when I leave Steve, I can tell his family that I've tried. I've been counseling with him multiple times. It doesn't work. I don't know what else to do because I knew my parents would love me no matter what. They wouldn't be happy, but I knew they would love me. And I wanted to be able, you know, to look at his parents and say, hey, I I don't know what else to do. I've tried. So that is not a great mindset to go into counseling with, but that's how I, that's how I went. And the sad thing is we only had one car at the time since we lived next door to the church. And. If we had had to, I would have driven separately. It was that painful to sit in the car in silence for two and a half hours and then go pick a scab in counseling and then ride back home. But at some point in that drive, I ask a question. Now, I'd ask probably 2.5 million questions (laughs) over, you know, the course of our marriage that I thought were ignored because I never got a response. I never got a nod. I didn't get an answer. I didn't even get any kind of visible confirmation that he even heard me so I felt very ignored and that's not that was not reality that's what it looked like to me but at some point I asked a question and after about five or six minutes he actually answered me and of course I immediately had a question right back because that's how my brain works and after several long minutes he was able to verbalize Something, and we neither one of us can really remember the content of that conversation, but that was probably the first clue that things might get better.
2: Yeah, and in reality, when she would ask me questions, I wasn't ignoring her. I was playing out in my mind: if I say this, how she can react? If I say this, how she can react? If I say this, how she? So I'm playing all these negative scenarios in my mind, and I never get around to actually formulating a response and answering a question. So when I finally did brave um, you know, some kind of response and she asked another question, oh, it didn't play out the way that I was afraid that it would. Uh, so some, something clicked and I would say, you know, that that was the beginning of rounding the corner. Mm. Uh, and then things started getting better from there. I don't know how valuable the therapy that we paid for was, uh, but I know there was a lot of value in the conversations that happened in the car once we actually started talking. And
0: I've heard you, on a, on a personal note, I've heard you teach from uh, the story of Gideon about the concept of things are never as bad. The outcomes are never as bad as you project them in your mind to be, um, which that seems like the perfect uh, analogy to what, what you're saying, that it's never quite as bad as you think it's going to be.
2: And I would say, you know, looking through the spiritual lens for a moment, hey, that, that's an example of the enemy uh, in that battlefield of the mind you know, how the enemy works, you know, convince us that if I do this, um, this is what's going to happen. And so that keeps me from saying or doing or sharing whatever that's going on and keeps us locked in this, um, this panic mode or, or, you know, trapped by fear.
0: So where the along the timeline here, the continuum, because we've, we've heard each of your individual stories mm-hmm. and obviously, and you mentioned Holly earlier that you, you brought not just baggage to the marriage, but you brought garbage trucks to the <laughs> marriage. Um, so where along this line are you beginning to deal with some of the issues that you mm-hmm. bring out of childhood or from teenage years? And, and Steve, the issues that you're dealing with out of childhood, where where do these, where does this kind of fall into place?
1: Well, we continued counseling for about six months. And for the first time in my entire married life, I felt like there was hope. I, w- I was very, very shocked because, again, I had, I had Cut myself off emotionally. It would have been easier for me emotionally at the point we sought counseling to walk away Mm. than it was to do the work to be reengaged. So huge difference in where we started and where we wound up. I also felt like there was still maybe a little bit of a missing piece, but that eventually I would know and it would be okay. So a year after we've gone through this process, I decided to take a girl's trip with some friends. I call them my three nosy friends. And we're just going to go to the beach, hang out, and I bought a book, just a fiction book to read while we're at the beach. And had not read just a fiction book, and I couldn't tell you how many years because I've been reading about how to fix your marriage and stuff for church or stuff for Bible study. So just a fun book. So we're sitting at the beach and I'm reading, and I get about 150 pages into this book, and I begin to feel physically sick. Now, and aside to this, leading up to this time or when those dreams, those crazy, you know, scary dreams I was having, there was a huge increase in them. So it was at the same time. So I'm reading this book, and this girl's life, who's one the main person, is a little bit too close to mine in high school. And I finally, I just, I'm sitting there reading, because my friends are around, feeling like I'm going to be sick. And I can't, I can't read anymore, but I don't know what to do. So I just slammed the book shut and threw it in the floor. I said, well, that's the stupidest book I've ever read. And so nosy friend number one, she just picks it up and she starts thumbing through it. And I've left my bookmark in it like a not smart person. And (laughs) she said, well, I think you don't like this book because it hits a little too close to home. Because these were three close friends and they knew about the stuff in my background. And I said, well, I don't think it has anything to do with that. It's just a stupid book. Well, I could not eat the rest of the weekend. I couldn't sleep. very, had this overwhelming anxious feeling and I didn't know what anxiety, like I didn't know anxiety was like a real issue. I just thought that was for people who didn't know how to cope with life. (laughs) I learned a lot different. So I just kind of make it through the rest of the weekend by gutting through all this stuff I feel under the surface. Well, the next day we get ready to leave and Nosy friend number two is sitting in the back seat of the car with me. And she says, well, Holly, you know, the stuff that happened to you when you were in high school, did you ever deal with that? And she said, I'm not saying like an exact day and minute, like, you know, a date and a time. But I would just think if you really had dealt with that, you'd be able to point back to some time where you had help and you processed all of that. And I knew there wasn't one, but I was really angry that she would say that to me. And so I was really belligerent. I mean, I equate it to acting like a middle schooler. But I said, well, I don't I don't know that I need to do that. You know, just that real mature kind of answer. So we start the journey home. And about the time we get close to our house, nosy friend number three says, well, do you think you might need to talk to Steve about this? And I said, well, Steve knows. There's no need to tell him stuff he already knows. She said, well, if you don't tell him by tomorrow, I'm going to call him. And I was so angry because I felt like she was tattling on me. I was like, you're going to tattle on me to my own husband for something he already knows. What he didn't know was how much it was affecting me currently. Right. So I eventually shared that with him. It was very difficult. I think the only time in our entire marriage that I was the one that had trouble finding words. I felt so
2: vindicated at that moment.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Knew what I wanted to say, but had a very hard time getting it out. Shared that with him and he said, I think, you know, you might need to go see a counselor and I began seeing one that I knew um, because she'd worked with some of the kids at church. And, and that was the day that I came home equally concerned and relieved. I'm not crazy. You know, there, there maybe is something here I need to deal with. So this was about a year into our, after our journey. And
2: then about a year after that is when I was on the Bethesda workshop, Workshop's website uh, taking that SAST and called and said hey I need to come as a participant uh and then April uh early in April of 2002 is when I um I used the phrase my life began mm-hmm. um going to Bethesda learning so much about what what caused you know all of the stuff in my life and you know what do you do with that and working out a recovery plan and uh having hope that hey maybe it's possible to tomorrow not be doing the same thing um maybe it's possible next Sunday not to be begging God for forgiveness for the exact same thing I begged God for forgiveness for last sunday um just a an incredible experience and I will forever be thankful for what Bethesda workshops was in my life but uh, our our marriage counseling was you know early in two thousand Holly's journey began in two thousand one mine two thousand two so uh,
0: one, one thing, as uh, I listen to the story, that I wonder about, um, you're, this first nine years of marriage, mm-hmm. you're living a completely emotionally intimate desert mm-hmm. of, a, of a life, uh, you're doing all these things that you can try to do to fix things, and none of them producing any results whatsoever, um, until you come to this point where you turn the corner. It seems it's interesting to me, I don't know what what you attribute it to, just God's presence or or um uh, just providence. A lot of people would have encountered someone else along the way that for whatever reason would have filled that emotional gap. You turn to mm-hmm. someone else, uh whether it's a friend or a coworker or someone or you turn to someone else, Steve, that 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 responds to the good deeds that you're doing or 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 does, you know, whatever. That didn't happen in your situation.
1: Physically, yes, there was not ever anybody that um, that I turned to, and act. But actually, there was a very innocent friendship with someone at church that I began to wonder. Okay, well, somebody asked me, "Hey, do you feel like this is okay?" And and really, on the surface, I felt like it was fine. I didn't have any ulterior motives. But when they said that, I started to look at things a little differently, a little more critically, and realized, okay, emotionally, this is probably not in a good place for me. I have absolutely no idea about the other person. I, it's not my responsibility. You know, mine was me. And that's actually what kind of motivated me to have that conversation with Steve on the back porch. Because I knew, okay, if the one thing you were to ask me, okay, Holly, it's something you'll never, ever do. We'll cheat on my husband. That would have been it. And I just, I realized, I was like, I am in a place where I, I could see how that would happen. I don't wish to do it. I don't want to do that. But when you are so lonely, it's, I understand how it does happen. And I think it was the fear and the kind of like the cold water in the face of realizing, oh my word, I could do that. I see how that happens. That really prompted me to say, I can't, I can't do this any longer. I don't want to be stuck here.
0: Well, I think that sometimes that's that's the case and that, that people mm-hmm. think, you know, so struggles in marriage, it's it's an affair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's. but the affair is almost always, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the counselor, Mr. Holiday. Um, Holliday. <laughs> it, it's almost always tied to some other kind of, it's a symptom of a deeper problem, this hole that we've talked about from the very beginning of trying to fill this hole uh, that sometimes we're not even aware of uh, where that came from to begin with.
2: Yeah, I would say not only is an affair a symptom, um, sexual acting out of any kind uh, is a symptom. Uh, certainly with, with sexual addiction, uh, the sexual behavior is not the problem. It's a problem. I mean, it, it, It's wrong, it's sinful, it has negative consequences, um, but it's not the issue. Uh, the issue is what's driving the person to need to use this escape behavior or behavior that alters their mood. Uh, and so if we can ever tap into, hey, what's the core issue there? Um, and, you know, my perspective is the core issue is not a relationship issue. The core issue is an individual issue. And if we can ever isolate that and work on that and, you know, heal what's, what's underneath it, um, now all of a sudden, hey, that symptom is more likely to dry up because the core issue has been dealt with um, and the relationship um, typically benefits, uh, from that.
0: So, and we've asked this before, what is it that the person, what do you, what do you want people to take away from it? What do you, what is it that you want when someone's listening to again, to your story? Cause that's what we're all made up of. <laughs> what, what is it that, that you want them to say? Oh, that's, that's, what do you want them to hear from that?
2: Uh, I guess from my perspective, I, I know there are, you know, the world is full of couples who can identify with that position of there is no intimacy in a relationship, you know, what symptom that that may come up on that is, you know, a guy thinks, well, you know, my wife's not available. My, my wife's not interested in having sex. And so if if she's not, then I'm going to find somebody else who will. Um, well, maybe the reason she's not interested in being approached is because there's no intimacy. Uh, maybe it's not that she's not interested in sex or not interested in you. Uh, maybe that there's no emotional connection. Uh, so I would hope that anyone hearing this story, uh, hey, if this is familiar territory, and if they they know this because they live it, uh, hey, let's let's find somebody who can help deal with the the root cause and not just focus on the symptoms. I think we've you know read books, we've run across counselors who focus on the symptoms. I think we've been to counseling with people who focused on the symptoms.
1: You need to have a date night. Date right. nights are horrible if you are not emotionally connected. Right. Because the only thing worse than feeling alone is feeling alone together in a restaurant or at a movie or at a concert. Yeah, mm. that's It's a horrible feeling.
2: Yeah. Our, our approach would certainly not be the, the standard, we'll here are things that are going to help improve your marriage. Mm. Uh, our approach would be, let's look at the inner healing that needs to take place on an individual level. And as that happens, you probably find, Wow. This relationship is so much better than we ever thought that it could be. Hmm.
1: I think one of the things that I would want people to take away from this is just don't miss the fact that no matter how bad things are, you're really on the same team. And I hate cliches, and I know that's a cliche statement, but I don't know how else to phrase that. There were so many years that I felt like Steve, in a way, was kind of out to get me purely because Things were so painful and so bad, and I, and because there was no information coming from him, I would assign motives. Well, he's being unkind. He's being mean. Um, and he would do the same thing. You know, we we share that openly. My perception was Holly was angry
2: all the time. That you know, any little thing would set her off, and she's just going to erupt. And and there were there were times when, um, there were moments of of rage or or anger that came out. Uh, but much, much more, the case was hurt, or lonely, and so I would see her react in a way where she's expressing her hurt, or I see evidence of lonely. I interpreted that as anger, mm. and so my perception of my wife was inaccurate. You know, it seems to me she's just blah 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 blah. Uh, the reality is very different, but I'm going to respond based on what my perception is. And be clueless of what reality is.
1: And I think anyone who has to deal with someone they perceive as angry, you're going to be defensive. And you're going to deal with that in a very different way than you would deal with someone if you think, oh, they are hurt. Because then we're more empathetic and we're not defensive. We're not puffed up about it. So, and that's what I mean about remember you're on the same team. And and ideally, you know, you really probably do have each other's best interest at heart, even if you are terrible at communicating that so it's it's finding a way to get back and see okay what exactly are we saying what exactly are we meaning well
0: because I, and i have heard um i mean i have known couples. couple I've, I've i've had i've worked with couples who have reached a point that say you know where the apathy has gotten the apathy has set in and 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 a lot of times when you've reached that point of apathy it's almost a point of no return uh, where It's not just I'm done, but I'm well, it is I'm done and I'm that that's it. And you go to that counseling session thinking this is my excuse or this is my uh, this is my justification for being able to say or this is the way I'm going to justify by saying I went to this just so I can say I tried.
2: And from my perspective, you know, at at this stage of life with the the chair that I sit in day in, day out, uh, giving up is not the solution. Uh, engaging in the difficult work is the solution. And if both people are willing to do that, um, there's no reason why you can't come out on the other side of that in a much better position, mm-hmm. but it's when one person or both are not willing to go through that process. or not willing to let go mm-hmm. of their beliefs about the other person. I worked with, with one couple for about a year and, uh, they'd been married 20 you know, something years, uh, and just, you know, all kinds of water under the bridge. Um, negative, negative, negative. And we made great progress uh, over many months. Uh, And I honestly thought that they had rounded the corner. I mean, they came in, you know, and smiles on their face and talk about how how great things had been the week before. And honestly, I thought, hey, you know, this couple's going to make it. Uh, And then hit a landmine where one of them responded in their normal pattern of response and was unwilling to take responsibility for the fact that they had responded poorly and went back to the, my husband just da, 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 And, and that was it. When you hit a place where one person is unwilling to see themselves accurately and see their spouse accurately, mm. um, you hit a brick wall and I don't know that, um, that you can move forward until that's that's addressed
0: sure
1: you ask what you know i would want people who are hearing this to take away and in the time that we live in uh statistically there are so many people who experience sexual brokenness in one form or another whether it's you know abuse or addictive sexual behaviors or some sexual confusion i would hope that anybody hearing this who is in a any kind of serious relationship would definitely learn from what i call our stupid I'm like, please do not, do not recreate our stupid. And if you see patterns uh, in your relationship now, if you see, um, notice things about yourself, you know, why is it I always react angry when what I'm really feeling is frightened? Pay attention to those and follow those. And I'm not saying ditch your relationship. Sometimes it needs, it's one that needs to go, but get help, um, work on yourself and then look at the relationship. Okay, is this healthy? Is this not? I would hate for somebody else to walk through all the things that we walked through. And if we had given up, um,
0: there would be no Ultimate Escape. we're glad you didn't give up. And, of course, uh, the story of how Ultimate Escape actually came about... We're going to talk about that in the next podcast, so make sure you tune in for that. Folks, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for being here in the studio with us. Remember, you can find more details about Steve and Holly and the entire Ultimate Escape organization on their website at ultimatescape.org. This podcast is available around the world. You can subscribe to it on your phone through a number of apps, including TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Simply search for Ultimate Escape on any one of those platforms and click the subscribe button. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Chenault. This is the Ultimate Escape Podcast.